People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. It's the show on Friday, the 29th of June. Can't believe it's almost the end of the first half of the year. And we are joined in studio for the first time in quite a while with the good friend of People of the Book, Tracy, from Jonathan Ball Publishers. Welcome. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me back. I know you've been so busy with interviews and far more important people than I. I know, everyone's important. <laughs> now, we have a whole big pile of really interesting-looking books that you want to talk about. Absolutely. They look well-read, so you are fully uh, conversant with all the excitement, and uh, you've got a lot of passion for these titles. Yes, absolutely. I, In fact, I'm too self-conscious to ever talk about books that I haven't actually read because I'm scared you're going to ask me a question and I'm going to be caught out. But anyhow, there's a huge pile today, so let me try and talk as quickly as I normally do and get through as many as possible. The first one that I want to chat about, I think I'd actually mentioned the last time I was on, but I wanted to mention it again because I think it's such an important book. It's called Born in Chains and it's written by a young guy called Clinton Childcare. And Clinton was born in Attridgeville into extreme poverty, moved, he's a Tsonga man, moved back home to Limpopo on the banks of the Levuvu River, which if you've ever been up to Pafuri is this is exceptionally beautiful part of the country, but incredibly remote. And Clinton's family is dirt poor. Clinton lives between huts and corrugated iron shelters with no windows. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of, there's a theory called, oh, it was originated by a man called Dunbar, Dunbar's number. It's also called the monkey sphere. It's this idea that we can as humans, primates, all primates actually, only cope with a certain number of people that we can directly care about. And that number for humans is generally between 100 and 250, and they generally f refer to it as 150. So anybody beyond 150 people in your circle, you really can't care about. They become two-dimensional insubstantial characters and I think in South Africa in particular as a white middle class woman who has lived a privileged life I was allowed to go to public schools a private schools had good education had access to all of these things I have no real concept of poverty because I just don't have somebody within my group of 150 who has lived this sort of life, which is why the reading of this book for me was amazing because Clinton is now part of my monkey sphere. I care about and I know somebody who has lived this life and I'm quite desperate for both of my kids ultimately to read this book. My son is 14 and I want him to read what it's like to grow up in a township with so few opportunities. And Clinton is a young guy. He was born in 1994. He was born into the new South Africa. And it's a wonderful sort of witty book. It's, well, I just, please go and pick up a copy of Born in Chains. Buy it 
for your children if your life is like mine in that it is privileged. Um, it is an extraordinary document of a world that was two-dimensional to me but is now no longer because of Clinton. So that is Born in Chains. And funnily enough, actually, now this I'm going to jump to another book, um, which is connected in some way in that it makes you care about people. It's only coming out, I think it's coming out actually sort of late August, early September. It's a photographic history book written by a woman called, Mar or she does the photographs, Marina Amaral, and a great up-and-coming historian called Dan Jones. He wrote an incredible book about the Templars that was quite expensive. We didn't do very well with it in South Africa. It was a huge tome of a thing, about sort of five, six hundred pages. And he's fabulous. Now, what Marina does, I would, and the book is going to be called The Color of Time. But what Marina does is she colorizes old black and white photographs. And there are a couple of people online who do this, but Marina has an extraordinary talent of not exaggerating the colors and somehow bringing this history back to life. And before the book comes out, I'd really encourage you, if you're on Twitter, look for Marina Amaral or go onto her website. She's recently teamed up with Faces of Auschwitz and she's colorizing photographs of the prisoners um, in their intake photos. And there's something so deeply affecting about seeing these photographs in color. Um, it is some, there's an immediacy to these photographs. And not only does she colorize the photographs on the faces of Auschwitz website, you can get the stories of the people who she's photographing and the book is coming out as I say late August early September but do please look up Marina Amaral and Dan Jones will be writing the stories of those photographs and it's not just the concentration camp photographs it's she's obsessed with Tsar Nicholas and the last of the Romanovs and she's done wonderful photos of Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill. It's 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 just it's amazing. Go and have a look online and buy the book as soon as it comes out. It's going to be extraordinary. And then another local title that I wanted to mention quickly also released at the beginning of this month, but Kate Sidley who is a journalist, general friend of the book, wife of Stephen Sidley, an author. They're a wonderfully bookish family, and we adore the Sidleys. Kate has put together a book for Nelson Mandela's what would have been 100th birthday in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's called A Hundred Mandela Moments, and what Kate has done is she's taken 100 stories, vignettes, and she's pulled from... Long Walk to Freedom, interviews, records at the Mandela Foundations. And uh, these are new interviews that she's done. And she's put together an extraordinary collection that is organized chronologically. So you can read it from start to finish or you can just dip in. And it's a wonderful read. And especially now to remember the hope that... We lived with, and I know I 
I understand that we're in a different world and there's lots of anger that's valid, but to remember the hope and the optimism of Nelson Mandela, it was, it was just a wonderful experience. So that's Kate's 100 Mandela Moments, which is available right now. Then, sorry, I'm jumping all over the place because you know I usually do the local titles, but and the local titles first. But I've been reading so much and so, so many sort of all over the show titles. But a series that I wanted to talk about is Sophie Hannah's rewriting of, or not rewriting, she's writing new. Agatha Christie Mysteries. She's been authorized by the Christie Foundation, and she's writing new Poirots. There is a new trade paperback coming out in September, which will be the third one. So there are two paperbacks already available. And I had been, I, maybe it's winter, but I've been, I, we haven't had TV for an age either. And my big new thing is to go and download Apparently, when I get to choose in winter what I want to watch, it is all cozy crime. It's death in paradise. It's midsummer murders. And I'm not sure if it's a sort of nostalgia for Angela Lansbury and murder she wrote. But cozy crime is what I'm watching on TV. And I decided that I needed to read some cozy crime as well. So I picked up one of the Sophie Hannah's. It's wonderful. It's Poirot, you feel it, the language is right. There are two in trade paperback, and the third, as I say, is coming in September. So do pick them up if you, like me, feel like some cozy crime. What's the new one called? Um, I'm actually not. Somebody was subscribing it the other day. The one that I picked up was actually her first, and it's called The Monogram Murders. Um, But look for the Sophie Hannah's. I mean, she's a best-selling author in her own right, but she decided to channel her career through the spirit of Agatha Christie. Absolutely. So Absolutely. We'll be back with more great reads with uh, Tracy from Jonathan Ball straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with the good friend of the radio station, Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Ball Publishers. There's been a bit of a break, Tracy coming in and talking to us because we've had so many interviews during the month of May and June with Franschuk and with the Kingsmead Book Festivals. Uh, so we've got a lot of catch up and we've got a number of great titles and we've discussed already and we've got a lot more that we are going to be talking about. Fabulous. The next one has actually just released in paperback, and I sold it in trade paperback, but I think I sold almost none countrywide because I wasn't quite sure that I related to it. So you won't have picked it up for your book club yet, although the paperback is already now available. It's a thriller, I suppose, called The Blinds by Adam Sternberg. It's published by Faber and Faber, and it's set in this... I suppose almost like a sort of prison village. It's set in Arizona and there is this experimental facility that is kind of like a housing estate really for criminals or and or for people who testified against criminals and would need to go into the witness protection program. And the reason that there's this isolated Village is that 
a sort of biotech kind of company has developed a technology. It all sounds very futuristic, but it's not really. Um, in fact, it feels almost like an old Western. There's this biotech company that has developed technology. It was originally developed to wipe out people's memories of trauma in order to help them overcome that trauma. They would literally wipe the incident of the home invasion or whatever it was so they could live a psychologically happy, healthy life. Um, the technology instead is bought by the U.S. government and it is used on criminals. So in this village that has a sheriff and shopkeepers, everybody has jobs. It's a sort of self-sustaining area. Everybody is either a really awful, awful criminal um, or somebody who testified against them. And the project has been running successfully for about nine years until one of the inhabitants of the village commits suicide, supposedly. A couple of weeks later, another one of the inhabitants is actually murdered in the pub. And it runs from there. It's just such a cool, different thriller. And I loved every second of it. And I, Dennis Lehane gives it a wonderful shout. And it does have that sort of gritty Dennis Lehane feel to it. It's wonderful. So it's called The Blinds by Adam Sternberg. And it should, uh, you think it should pick up now that it's in paperback? Yes, People hopefully. should give it a try. Yes, absolutely. They won't, they won't regret it. No. Definitely not. And then I'm going to jump ahead to some titles that are coming out over the next couple of months. Um, the first one I think will probably be one of my favorite books of the year. And I know we're only in June, but it certainly will be. It's called The Psychology of Time Travel. It's a debut written by Kate Mascarenas. I think you would pronounce it, although I have to tell you that I think I'm just making up that pronunciation <laughs> um, and it starts in the 1960s 1967 in fact and a group of four female scientists have discovered I suppose a way to travel through time and it's just prior to the moon landing and it's that very exciting time in the 60s anyhow these four women are great friends. They all have their own specialities, and they're just about to invite the media around, or in fact they have invited the media around, to make the big release. They've discovered time travel. They can do it. You can travel through time. When one of the scientists, Barbara, has on the live TV show a spectacular meltdown, um, I suppose a nervous breakdown, we would have called it back in the day, or I think we call them different things. And Barbara leaves the project. Then you jump to 2007, where Barbara now has a granddaughter. She's lived a very happy life away from the time travel. And she receives a note from either the future or the past, warning her that in seven days' time, I think it was seven days or eight days' time, an elderly lady is going to be, and obviously Barbara herself is now in her 80s, an elderly lady is going to be murdered in a museum. And it's it's kind of, you know, it's not time travel in the sense that 
I, it's not like Space Odyssey 2001. It's like Time Traveler's Wife. It's it's just this wonderful novel. There's a bit of murder mystery. There's a love story. There's these four cool women, strong scientist characters who changing the face of science. And it was just a wonderful read. And you're bouncing between 1937, 67, 2007. It is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I'm giving you that for you to read because you will love it. I can't wait. <laughs> you will love it. And you also, I see you also got the, I think one of the big releases Ooh, for the rest of the year. I know. The I new feel, Barbara Kingsolver. I feel so privileged to have a copy and to have actually read the Barbara Kingsolver, which is only going to release in October. But if you haven't heard, there is a new Barbara Kingsolver coming. It is called Unsheltered. A Barbara Kingsolver new release is always a big event. And I, Love this one. I have in my order of favorite Barbara King solvers, I have Poisonwood Bible is number one. The Lacuna is number two. And now Unsheltered is number three. It is a very special read. And for me, one of her better ones. So, so save your pennies. Your your, your your book club budget for Barbara yes, King Solver. Absolutely. What's the, what's the rough story? Um, it's, a house in New Jersey State, um, and the lives of two families who live there. The one family is living there in the 1800s, um, and the other family is living there in the run-up to Donald Trump's election as the President of the United States. And it has all of Barbara Kingsolver's usual themes. There's environmental issues, but the unsheltered relates to this beautiful old house in a community that was set up, I suppose, ultimately by a bit of a con man in the 1840s. He he calls it Vineland, and he wants to have it be this enclave of knowledge, religion, schooling, the ideal American life. And he's selling off plots of land. And this house that the two families live in is falling apart, um, as is the belief systems in the 1840s as Darwin is starting to publish and people are talking about evolution Um as America, with Trump as president, finds itself on shaky ground, feeling a little bit unsheltered, um, it is, oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, have I got time to? We've got, yeah. I've, I've got time to talk about yeah. one more. Um, more than one, yeah. It's a memoir that's releasing in July in hardback. Published by William Collins. It's called Girl with Dove. And it's Sally Bailey's memoir. She grows up in this really, again, sorry, I'm obviously obsessed with the sort of culty communities at the moment. Now that I'm talking, I feel like there's a theme. It's a big theme in publishing at the moment. <laughs> from Educated by Tara Westover all the way through I'm dying to, to read that. All the way through to, I've seen books from One World and you know, there's a huge amount of girls growing up in cults. Okay. Well, Sally grows up in this ramshackle 
house at the seaside in a community that is run by a woman called Aunt Di, and no men are allowed in the community at all. It's very much sort of hippies, that sort of 60s vibe, but there is a very sinister undercurrent. Her little brother disappears one day without there ever being any explanation for why he had done so. And Sally, in order to cope with this crazy world that she lives in, becomes a reader. And her memoir is told through the lens of all of the books that changed her life. And I just quickly, I want to read a sentence that is beauteous. Reading is a form of escape, and an avid reader is an escape artist. I began my escape the moment I started to read, aged four. It's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So there's this weird culty vibe and, and it's books a story as beyond a, the cult as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It is how Sally escaped both psychologically and physically. And the book's going to be out in? In July. July. We have a short ad break and then we'll be back with two more titles from a, a very passionate and a very excited Tracy. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're in conversation with Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Ball Publishers and we've, we've discussed quite a lot of very exciting books that are already available that will be coming out soon. The big news is the Barbara Kingsolver Unsheltered out in October. Always something to look forward to. Uh, we've just been discussing Girl with Dove, a memoir, Sally Bailey growing up in a cultish community. And I think we've got another cult book. Yes, we do. Or oh, this one, uh, this one, I suppose, is sort of slightly not in that it's only one family. It's called The Only Girl in the World. And it's written by a woman called Maud Julien. And Maud's father was a complete lunatic. She grew up in a, or she was born in a city in France. And quite early on, I think if I recall, it was sort of before she was three, her father moves her, her mother and himself to the countryside where they kind of barricade themselves in the house. And he's this weird survivalist almost character where, and he, I, it's it's horrific. He tortures Maud. Essentially, he gets her to hang on to electric fences in order for her not to flinch, for her not to show fear, for her not to feel pain. He starts feeding her whiskey from the age of about four, so that she learns not to be or behave drunk when she is drunk. And oh, I, I, the whole thing is just bizarre because Maud's mother um, was his foundling child. He'd approached a poor family um, in France and said he would take their daughter in. He would make sure that she was educated in all the right places. And he did. He takes Maud's mother in and he creates for himself 
from the time she was six, he bought her essentially from her family. He creates this perfect wife or what in his mind would be a perfect wife. And I just, as you read, your eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is Maud's story of finding her way out of this world. She becomes ultimately a, a therapist herself. It is... It's it's genuinely quite something. It it is quite something and harrowing certainly, but there is great hope throughout it because Maud retains spirit. Normally you expect a story like this to come from somewhere, you know, I don't know, in Nevada or yes, Nebraska. Exactly. You Not imagine it in European sm- France. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, I, and music becomes her escape actually. She she gets a a wonderful music teacher. So if Sally's escape was words, Maud was music. So maybe the idea of all of these sort of creative pursuits as ways to happiness. And it's published by One World, which is a very small press, but they have such impressive titles. They have amazing stuff coming through. And now one more. One more. All the Hidden Truths by Claire Askew is going to be one of Hodder and Stoughton's big releases as we move into spring. And it is the story of a school shooting, a school shooting in the UK, Claire's English. And there are no spoilers in my saying so. The first chapter opens with this young boy shooting up the school. And then you travel back in time to the days running up to the shooting. And most of the story is told from the perspective of the mother. So the school shooter, while all of the action, he's the sort of fulcrum around which all of the action happens. It's more the story of his mother and her experience of what it's like to have been the mother of a monster. Um, and I don't know if you saw, it's the most wonderful documentary if you ever get a chance. And documentary by one of the mothers of one of the Columbine shooters, who, again, as a lot of the parents of these school shooters say, they were just regular kids. No, I didn't notice anything. And all of the terrible violence directed at these parents for having raised these monsters and not being aware that they were on the verge of going with automatic weapons to shoot up their classmates. And it's just a really, it's a beautiful documentary and this book is beautifully told from the perspective of this mother trying to come to terms with what her son has done. It's it's got really strong overtones of we need we need to talk about Kevin by very controversial Lionel Shriver. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Um, so that I'm currently reading Only Child, which oh. is the result. It's the surviving child of a shooting in America, and his only child now because his brother was killed in the shooting, um, and how he's 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 definitely on the aut. Not quite. He's not autistic, but he's like pre-autistic on that spectrum, and how he helps his family heal through the the aftermath of this of this tragedy in this in his school. Somebody was telling me about Only Child, and I'm also want I I want to pick it up because I 
I am fascinated in getting insight into what's going on. Having read um, the, all the hidden truths, all the hidden truths. Yes. This is a book that we must all look out for. Absolutely. Very much so. And the relationship that develops between the mother of the shooter and the mother of one of the victims. I can't believe uh, half an hour has flown. <laughs> we have to have you in the studio again sometime in the very near future to catch up with more book uh, book releases from Jonathan Ball. The lists are fantastic. And I mean, yeah, you haven't even... You haven't scratched the top of an iceberg. You know, there's a fortune just above the water before we get to what's below. You know, the deeper down you go down oh, your list. Absolutely. Looking forward to having you again on the show soon. And, uh, you know, just keep looking for those great titles that our readers are going to want, our listeners are going to want to become your readers. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. And that was Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Wall Publishers with a huge list of really great books to look forward to. And as I promised in the run-up to the school holidays, I want to discuss a whole lot of kids' books, different ages for young readers because school holidays having begun for some schools or beginning for, some, for other schools, everyone's going to have a lot of time on their hands. Children are going to want to have something to do. So let's look at a number of books that are available now already for all different ages. We're going to start with the younger readers, uh, people who are starting to read chapter books already, but slightly funny and easier books. And uh, we've got quite a few of those. The first one's called Iguana Boy Saves the World with a Triple Cheese Pizza. This book is published by Hodder, and its author, author is Bishop... Uh, or there's, uh, there's two. There's two authors. There's an author and there's an illustrator. So the author's name is very, very cryptically put here. James Bishop. James Bishop was the run-up in the 2016 ITV Lorraine's Top Tale Writing Competition. He's inspired to write a comic book-style superhero by his vast collection of comic books and the birth of his newborn baby, James. Set to work writing about a boy with a rare superpower. And that is how the book, the series, Iguana Boy, was born. And the illustrator is Rikin Parekh, who works as an illustrator, uh, a production illustrator, film production illustrator on monster movies. And the book is a very, very simple idea. Dylan has always wanted a superpower, especially since his brother and sister have got really awesome ones. But when his wish finally comes true, Dylan is royally cheesed off. Oh, great. He can talk to iguanas. Such a rubbish superpower. Then supervillain Selina Shufflebottom kidnaps all the superheroes in London. It's time for Dylan to be a hero. Can he save the day and make iguana boy cool? This is the boy, this is the book, Iguana Boy Saves the World with a Triple Cheese Pizza. It's for young readers, a lot of fun. Uh, and it's the, the type of books, the type of books for the young readers we're going to be talking about today are those type of books that a reluctant reader, someone who doesn't want to read at all, will enjoy and get them on the treadmill of reading. The next book we're going to look at also for young readers, the 7, 8 year category, the 6, 7, 8 maybe younger, uh, old, uh, just 
just before they get to nine years old, is called Uncle Sean and Bill and the Almost Entirely Unplanned Adventure. It's written by A.L. Kennedy. Uh, A.L. Kennedy is a very well-known author of adult books, but she is turning a hand to writing books for children. And uh, the book's illustrated by Gemma Coral. And this is the basic idea. Badgerbill needs rescuing. He's been kidnapped by two nasty sisters who are about to make him fight a boxing match against three even nastier dogs. Four very depressed llamas need rescuing too. They are about to be turned into llama pies. But never fear. Uncle Sean is here. Or nearby anyway. He loves rescuing things. He has a sort of plan which involves dancing and a mother mole and an electric fence. What could possibly go wrong? Published by Walker Books, this is for young readers, Uncle Sean and Bill, and the almost entirely unplanned adventure. Then our third book for young readers is, this title is just the giveaway for a huge adventure-packed read. The Day That Aliens Nearly Ate Our Brains by Tom McLaughlin, also published by Walker Books, and it's packed with alien-themed activities throughout the book. And the the cast of characters, there's Freddy, Russell, Gadon, Smackdown. Oh, sorry, Freddy is a Russell, Gadon, Smackdown fan, and he's the discoverer of aliens. Then there's Sal, Freddy's best friend, and a firm believer in talking fish. Then there's Alan, who is the brain-eating alien from Planet Twang, ready to do the invading. Then there's Hilda. She's angry. She's the no-nonsense, fast-running lollipop lady. Then there's Captain McGill, who's prone to cheese and onion pastry-based flatulence. Sergeant Clive West, that's Sal's uncle, who's a realist, and he's a moustache wearer. There's President Jones, uh, a female-level-headed president of the United States. And then we have Vladimir. He's the shirt-ripping enthusiast who's also the president of Russia. So we're going to have aliens invading the Earth and children involved in talking to top-level politicians both in America and in Russia to try avert catastrophe and lots of little fun activities throughout the book and tips on how to draw aliens. The book is... Written by Tom McLaughlin, The Day That Aliens Nearly Ate Our Brains. Best friends Freddy and Sal have accidentally started a space war with Alan, a grumpy alien brain muncher from from planet Twang. Soon the police, NASA, and world leaders are getting involved. Freddy is about to become the most famous kid in his town for all the wrong reasons. Wolverhampton, we have a problem. So this is for young readers, seven, eight, nine years old. It's the day that aliens nearly ate our brains. And now moving on to slightly older readers, nine, ten, eleven. I'm holding a book called The Magic Misfits. It's by Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris is an Emmy Award-winning actor as well as a producer, a director, a host, and an author. He starred in hit comedy How I Met Your Mother, currently appears as Count Olaf in the Netflix adaptation of a series of unfortunate events. So he knows his kids' literature, 
and he knows how to spin a very, very exciting tale. Now, this book is called The Magic Misfits. Do you believe in magic? Magic comes in all shapes and sizes and colors and tastes and smells and feelings. Magic may even come in the shape of a book. When Carterlock runs away, he's never felt more alone, but then he finds a gang of other young magicians, and the magic misfits are born. This is the first in a magical new adventure series with real magic tricks for you to try at home. Uh, this is the cutest little shout-out. I read this book with excitement, delight, and the increasing suspicion that it was going to make me disappear by Lemony Snicket. So this is a very, very exciting book. I'm reading it to my seven-year-old son at the moment, and we can't get enough. There's beautiful illustrations, the tricks throughout the book, their how-to-do-magic-trick tips, their codes, there's uh, how-to-read a person's mind, uh, that type of that type of. Uh, additional uh, material added to the book. It's Neil Patrick Harris's The Magic Misfits, a whole lot of fun, published by Egmont, also for slightly uh, young readers, this 8, 9, 10, uh, but it's a lot, a lot of a lot of enjoyment. Getting to uh, I suppose still in the, the, the 9, 10 year age group, a book by Elizabeth Laird uh, a prize-winning authoress published by Macmillan. The book is called The Song of the Song of the Dolphin Boy. Finn has always been different, and in the tiny Scottish fishing village of Stromhead, his loneliness sticks out like a sore thumb. Then one day he dives into the sea and begins swimming with the dolphins, and suddenly it feels like home. But his new friends are in danger of being injured by the plastic and other rubbish that floats out into the water. So desperate to save them, Finn goes to the lighthouse crew for help, the same children who have always left him out. This is a moving adventure about the importance of looking after our oceans. Uh, as you can hear, it is it's, uh, it's children, it's a, it's a children's book with a strong social message. In this case, it's environmental. And the author's got a note at the back of the book. Song of the Dolphin Boy began its life in France when I was staying with some young friends. One of them, Simon Christopher, makes underwater films of marine wildlife in Borneo, and he told me how worried he was about the, states of, the state of the oceans. We humans have used the seas as dumping grounds for all our waste for thousands of years. In the old days, much of our rubbish just rotted or eroded harmlessly away. But then plastic was invented. Well, we all love plastic. We wrap our food in it. We use it to make our bright, colorful toys, our computers and phones, and almost anything else you can imagine. When we're tired of all our stuff, we just throw it away. You'd be amazed how much rubbish ends up in the sea. Around 8 million tons a year, and there it stays. Vast islands of plastic that will last for thousands of years float about in the once clean water. Whales, dolphins, seals and birds get tangled up in them. They think that plastic is food, and when they eat it, their stomach fills up and they, and they can starve. I wanted to do something about this. This is the author Elizabeth Laird writing in her author's note, the back of the book, Song of the Dolphin Boy. I went to see Professor Paul Thompson, who runs this brilliant, the brilliant Aberdeen University Lighthouse Field Station in Cromarty. He told me about the problems caused by balloons when they're released into the air. They almost always end up in the sea and can seriously harm dolphins and other wildlife. 
I hope you enjoy reading Song of the Dolphin Boy. You might feel inspired to look online to find out more about ocean conservation and the Clean Seas campaign. We humans need to care for our great blue beautiful oceans and all the wonderful animals and fish that live in them. We need to get the great cleanup started. So that is children fiction with a very strong message, an environmental message, and the book is The Song of the Dolphin Boy by Elizabeth Laird, published by Macmillan. The next book is also a book with a very strong social message. And in this case, the message is awareness of racism. The book is called Ghost Boys, Ghost Boys, and it's by Jewel Parker Rhodes, published by Ryan. Alive. Twelve-year-old Jerome doesn't get into trouble. He goes to school, he does his homework, he takes care of his little sister. Then Jerome is shot by a police officer who mistakes his toy gun for a real threat. Dead. As a ghost watching his family trying to cope with his death, Jerome begins to notice other ghost boys. Each boy has a story and they all have something in common. Bit by bit, Jerome begins to understand what really happens, not just to him, but to all of the ghost boys. This is a book that lifts the lid on what it feels like to be growing up black in America, the subject of a lot of racism, uh, where society itself seems to treat you with unfairness. And it's a very, very powerful book. The book also comes with um, discussion questions and for further resources for parents and educators just to make what is a real issue in the world to some children that much more real to others. This is People on the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're looking at children's books because it's and young adult books because it's the beginning of the holidays. Uh, some people have really started the holidays a while ago. And just what is available now, some of the better books, some purely for entertainment and some for a little bit more than entertainment, for just opening our minds, our, our, our eyes up to greater reality in the world around us. The next book I'm going to talk about is called The Unpredictably of Being Human, and it's by Lenny Inge Munson. It's published by Osborne. And it's a paperback book. It is available in, the, in, in, the, in shops already. This is the story of the outsider in every one of us. If 14-year-old Malin was God for a day, she wouldn't change much. Dad would still yell. Her brother Sigva would still get in trouble. And Mom would still think wine is good for the heart. She'd still be friends with Hannah, even if they met shoplifting. Because stuff's okay, mostly. And if he could fix the world, wouldn't God have done it all already? Darkly comic, striking and compassionate, this is a portrait of small-town Norway, a community that sings with pain, humour and a whole lot of nothingness, told through the eyes of a unique teenage girl. The author, Lenny Inge Mudsen, is from Norway and currently works in Malta. She does not know how to draw, but is somehow also a freelance cartoonist. Some of her favorite things in life include chocolate monsters and her yellow typewriter. She has lived in three different countries and will never be done exploring the world. She has worked as a dishwasher in Australia, a volunteer journalist in Tanzania, 
and has approximately 2.5 near-death experiences behind her. So what truly inspires her writing is her background growing up in a village on the southwestern coast of Norway. This is the book The Unpredictably The Unpredictability of Being Human by Lenny Inge Munson, published by Osborne, and it is for young teenage girls that really find this a very, very entertaining read and seeing themselves reflected through what I'd say international fiction. This is people on the book on one oh nine high FM. We'll be back with some books for young adults straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're looking at books for children and for young adults. The next book I'm going to talk about is called Twelve Nights. It's by Andrew Zercher. For 10, 11, 12-year-olds, maybe 13, 13, 14-year-olds, the book Twelve Nights, this is the story. Kay's father is working late, as usual. Fed up. Her mother bundles her daughters into the car and drives to her husband's Cambridge College to collect him herself. When they arrive, the staff claim that nobody by his name has ever worked there. That night, Kay is woken by voices at her windows. The voices of Will and Flip, who call themselves removers, but they are not human. And Kay shouldn't be able to see them, except she can. They leave a note for their mother, Kay and her younger sister when they go out through the windows with Will and Flip. We are going to find Dad. We will be back soon. We love you. Twelve Nights is Andrew Zercher's debut novel, an incredible fantasy that will send shivers up your spine whether you are 9 or 99. Prepare to be transported to a world of magical storytelling as powerful and as imaginative as Narnia, as Lyra's Oxford, as the BFG's dream country. The book is available now. It's a big book. It's full of so many different references and layers of mythologies and fairy tales, uh, fantasy lands, all one on top of the other. They have 12 nights. These two girls have 12 nights to save their father. Now for our young adult readers. First of three books for young adults. This is Total Fantasy. Sally Green's The Smoke Thieves, a princess, a soldier, a hunter, a traitor, and a thief. From the author of the global publishing phenomenon Half Bad comes a new epic fantasy series, perfect for fans of Game uh, well, yes, of, of Lee Bug, uh, Bardugo and Game of Thrones. In Brigant, Princess Catherine prepares to marry a man she's never met, while her true love Ambrose faces the executioner's block. In Calidor, Downtrodden servant March seeks revenge on the prince who betrayed his people. In Pretoria, Edion stands at a crossroads. Family and fortune one way, destruction the other. And in the barren northern territories, Tash is facing her demons, literally. As the kingdom's alliances shift and shatter, these five young people find their futures inextricably linked by a mysterious bottle of demon smoke and by the unpredictable tides of war. Who will rise, who will fall, and who will unlock the secrets of the smoke? This is The Smoke of Thieves by Sally Green, published by Penguin. And it's a book for young adults. The next one is called Scythe. It's written by Neil Schusterman, published by Walker Books. It's also available in the shops at the moment. Thou shalt kill. 
What if death was the only thing left to control? In a perfect world, the only way to die is to be gleaned by a professional scythe. When Sitra and Rowan are chosen to be apprentice scythes, they know they have no option but to learn the art of killing. However, the terrifying responsibility of choosing their victims is just the start. Corruption is the order of the day, and Sartre and Rowan need to stick together to fight it. Then they are told that one of them will have to glean the other. Says also, Sartre fantasy for young adults. Uh, that's Sartre by Neil Schusterman. And our last book for today is called The Goose Road by Rowena House, published by Walker Books. While the soldiers are fighting on the front for World War I, Angelique has her own battle to win. It's 1916. When news arrives of her father's death on a distant battlefield, 14-year-old Angelique Lacroix makes herself a promise. She will keep the family farm running until her brother returns back to the farm in France from the Great War. But she doesn't realize that to keep her promise, she will have to embark on a long and arduous journey across France, accompanied by a flock of magnificent Toulouse geese. This is a brilliant and beautifully told debut novel, historical fiction at its best. That is The Goose Road. It's World War I, One Girl, One Momentous Journey, The Goose Road by Rowena House. So those are the books that we've looked at for our young readers, very young readers, those in grade ones, two, three, and four. Big Ioana Boy saves the world with a triple cheese pizza, Uncle Shaw and Bill, and the late and the almost entirely unplanned adventure, and then the day that aliens nearly ate our brains. Then we looked books for 9, 10, 11, 12s, Neil Patrick Harris, The Magic Misfits, Elizabeth Laird's Song of the Dolphin Boy, Jewel Parker Rhodes' Ghost Boys, and the, unpredictably of, the Unpredictability of Being Human by Lenny Ingemundsen. And then... Andrew Zurcher's Twelve Nights. And then for young adults, Sally Green's The Smoke Thieves, Neil Schusterman's South, and Rowena House's The Goose Road. Until next week, good Shabbos and keep reading.